Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 224. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lend at Fintech conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com USA to register. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Sam Graziano. He is the CEO and co-founder of Foundation. Now, Foundation have been around for many years. In fact, Sam was one of the speakers at the very first Lendit back in 2013. So he is somewhat of a pioneer in this space. I wanted to get Sam on the show to to really talk about the the small business lending space and how it's changing, how his company has evolved, and and they've pivoted a couple of times really from the way they first approached this space. And we talk about how they're approaching bank partnerships. They're one of the leading companies now providing white label solutions for banks in the small business space. We talk about the the future of small business lending. We talk about, you know, provides his thoughts on on Amazon and Square and, and PayPal and much more. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thanks for having me, Peter. My pleasure. So I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners some background about yourself. And I know you've been doing you've been doing foundation for some time now, but maybe tell us sort of what your career background is. Sure. Thanks. So I actually spent about 10 years on Wall Street uh, before starting foundation in a couple of different capacities. First as an investment banker doing you know, M&A, corporate finance for an array of different types of financial services companies in banking, lending, asset management, et cetera. And I also sort of spent some time in that same arena in doing some private equity work as well at one of my private prior firms that I was with. So my whole career before foundation was oriented around financial services companies across a bunch of the different verticals uh, within financial services. And so, you know, it was a pretty decent springboard for me to to go ahead and start foundation. Okay. So then what was the idea? Did you have like an aha moment or what was was the driving force behind starting foundation? Yeah. So actually, I had started the company with a a co-founder of mine, his name is Doug Gordon, um, and he and, I, he and I went to the same alma mater, which was which was Bucknell University. Uh, you know, me being many years ahead of him, met him at a uh, an alumni event. You know, he was talking about an idea oriented around crowdfunding business loans, and you know, this is many years ago. So at the time, the only sort of comparison was really you know Lending Club and Prosper, which you obviously know those stories extremely well to state the obvious. And I had started following those companies at the time. You know, when I was a banker. And I thought it was interesting, you know, what they were doing around, you know, bringing, you know, consumer loans online and, and sort of dividing them up through a, a, a neat syndication process. And I hadn't seen anything like that being done in, in small business lending. And so I decided just to start to work with him to help develop the thesis. You know, ultimately, you know, the thesis, you know, became, you know, we felt small business lending was underserved. And, and I think that was in large part driven by, you know, what the media was saying, you know, what you could read from, you know, SBA white papers, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the format we decided to try and initially build the business 
was you know not a not a true peer to peer format. You know, we had sort of started life, you know, trying to just crowd, you know, bring institutional capital to a platform. Mm-hmm. You know, because we sort of had the theory, you know, from you know my experience having worked with asset management companies and, and really to sort of really scale capital supply. It was going to be need to be institutional, and so I, I at least sort of felt the the retail component was wasn't necessary, and really the core value prop, you know, of the business was going to be bringing a you know a better suite of products to the market, you know, that could you know be something better than let's just call it the daily pay products that were on the market at the time, you know, and serve the businesses that weren't being served well, and and do that through a you know I guess what's come to be known as a marketplace platform approach, but using pre- predominantly institutional capital. Right. But the story has changed dramatically since then, and I'm sure that's what we'll spend a fair amount of time on today. <laughs> yes, sure. So, well, maybe maybe we could just get right right into sort of the the evolution of of foundation. I mean, I you know you you started off obviously doing this direct to small businesses online. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that's evolved and how you, and how your business evolved. I know we'll, we're going to talk about, um, you know, bank partnerships quite a bit in this, in this conversation, but sort of when did you first start that? Start thinking about, uh, being kind of the, you know, the engine for, for banks to, to, to do their small business. Just tell us a bit about the evolution. Sure. The most fundamental point is we're actually not in the direct marketing business at all today. Um, you know, that was one of the, cornerstones of, of how we got started, which was, you know, we thought we were going to use various direct-to-customer marketing techniques, whether that was mail, digital, you know, or otherwise, you know, to drive people to our website and to provide them, you know, with a, with a loan. You know, we thought that would be a good business model. Um, you know, we at least made the determination that that wasn't going to be the way we were going to be able to succeed. I think what we had found was, you know, the the sort of quality of the customer population that we were able to drive or that we even thought we would ever be able to drive to our site was not going to fit very well with sort of the, the type of products that we were looking to bring to market, which was, you know, something in between, you know, where banks play in terms of, you know, term, in terms of cost, and sort of where some of the, uh, you know, sort of the well-known companies in our, in our space play in terms of, you know, term, cost, et cetera, and sort of structure of those products. And I think those models can work very well, you know, if, you know, and, and I think there's been some scenarios where that does work very well you know, for folks that have a wider buy box um, than we did, or at least where we had started. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of started our journey of thinking like, okay, well, this doesn't seem like it's going to work so well for us at least. You know, what's the right approach? And we really started to think about, you know, origination channels, you know, and what we realized, and I think what this is what a lot of the industry, you know, across consumer and small business, you know, do realize is that, you know, one of the cornerstones of value creation in this market is, you know, your acquisition channels, right? And, and direct is one. And if you can do that very well and develop a, a brand and, and, and that take, which takes a lot of time and money, you know, that is, that is one that can be very successful. Um, I do think, you know, there are some challenges to that one long-term, which we can get at, get to in a minute, but, and then there are others, which are, you know, things like what Green Sky has done, you know, which is develop your sort of own, you know, dealer network. And there's a variety of different variations of, of, of how to develop channels. And, and we decided to take sort of more of an indirect approach, which is, which is through partnerships. And what, that was sort of our first meaningful pivot, which was around the acquisition channels that we were going to focus on. And the next meaningful pivot, which we'll get to in a minute, is, 
you know, us as a solutions provider of, of providing our platform as a service to banks. And okay. so we started down the path of, you know, developing channels that were not direct oriented. You know, we do still work with brokers today to some degree, some of the marketplaces out there, but we've developed some reasonably successful point of sale programs. We started working with banks actually as a referral channel. And, you know, in, in, in the recent years, we, you know, we've started to focus on, you know, companies that we think um, will have, you know, dominant mind share with customers and or sort of be able to provide some form of capital at the time of need or time of purchase. Um, and that was sort of the first pivot for us as a business. Maybe I could just stop there, see if you have any questions before yeah. I get into sort of the next pivot. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So so I'm curious about, you know, maybe we could just dig in, give, maybe you could give us an example of some of the partnerships that you've got that, and, and are these, these are partners driving to, this is almost like a, like I presume, uh, you know, like an acquisition channels. Cause I, on your website, obviously there's, you still have, you know, apply now pre- predominantly as a button in the top right of your, of your homepage. So you're still getting customers going, flowing through directly with, with foundation. It's just that I'm guessing that you're, that they're coming through these partners. So maybe tell us, you know, like the point sure. of sale one or just give some, some examples of those. Yeah, sure. So maybe I'll just sort of talk about them categorically and as opposed to sort of specifically just because obviously you want to keep some things close to the chest. But mm-hmm. yeah, we do have an apply now button on our website. And in fact, we, we've debated recently taking it off just because, you know, we don't invest in it. So any of the traffic that's showing up is, is purely organic or word of mouth. And um, it's such a small piece of what we do that it's just sort of there as a matter of, you know, as a, as a matter of convenience, I guess, for customers that do show up. But we're not trying to drive anybody there. And so there are a few different categories. I mean, first is actually, you know, banks. And we work with banks in a, in a few different ways. You know, one, which is those that we offer a white-labeled, you know, origination solution to, to help them originate for their own account. But what we do in those relationships is actually bolt on what we call a second look, which is the first service we provide is allowing that bank to originate their products in their name, you know, at their cost structure, and then onboarding it into their systems but using us as an origination capability through their channels. Mm-hmm. And then the second service we provide those same institutions is a second look, which is to say, hey, if, if we said no to that customer, could Foundation have said yes? And if the answer was yes, we give them a Foundation line, line of credit or loan. And that becomes you know, an acquisition channel for our own, for our own balance sheet you know, on top of it being a, a services uh, business that we've got. We also have banks, and actually our first bank partnership was with Regions Bank back in 2015, and that was not a private label platform solution. It was purely just an, an integrated you know, referral program where you know, today and since then, you know, every customer that opts in you know, to a second look that comes through their retail network or their business bankers and is declined by the bank systematically comes into our system every, every night as well as customers that come to their website, you know, where the bank really hasn't invested in their own online lending capability that sort of purely comes, that comes right to us. And so that was actually our first bank partnership, which was, again, not a, you know, not a fee-for-service, you know, platform solution. It was uh, an integrated sort of partnership around serving their customers um, that they weren't able to or willing to serve on their own. And that continues to be a, a pretty successful relationship for us and, and a good one and has been in place for almost four years now. We've also got banks that actually refer us all of their customers below a certain amount. So we, you know, publicize a relationship with a bank called Provident Bank in New Jersey, which is about a $10 million bank. And, you know, they're a very good commercial bank. 
but you know really don't you know have a capability or, or necessarily at the moment necessarily care to of their own that they've manufactured to provide loans below two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And so all of those customers that come to the bank seeking that type of product, they just refer them directly to us, where we give them a foundation loan or line of credit, right? So we work with banks in a whole bit different bunch of ways, and so you know those are sort of the few categories there. We've also, as I mentioned, got some um, purchase finance or point of sale programs. You know, we don't really talk about them too much. So I probably won't go into too much detail here today on, on the podcast. You know, because you know we feel like we've developed some niches there that we think are you know really rewarding for us in terms of the customer profile, the the risk risk adjusted returns of those opportunities. But you know, they're not. They're very different from you know what a what an firm might be doing in the consumer space, you know, or what a fund box is looking to do. It looks like in the B two B space, where it's it's not e commerce driven, right? It's more sort of by appointment through companies that are providing a good or a service or a product of some kind to a SME, and where a term loan or line of credit could help make that sale more likely or more efficient. Right. And that's been you know that's been pretty successful for us, and and is a you know, probably about a quarter of what we do in terms of putting assets on our own balance sheet. And then, you know, we've been working with, you know, some of the marketplaces for a long time, you know, that are very, you know, very well known in the SME space. We do have a, you know, small network of, of commercial loan brokers that we work with, you know, and then in recent year or so, you know, we've really started to try and make a push into integrating our platform with, let's just call them payments and or other digital platforms that have SMEs that may need capital at the to facilitate a purchase, you know, and or that those institutions just have, let's say, dominant mind share with SMEs. And so I know, I think one of the things you, you wanted to talk about later on was, you know, this idea of, you know, just-in-time capital or capital whenever needed for SMEs. And we are a believer in that concept. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you an example. We, you know, uh, in just in terms of a company that we've publicized our relationship with, which is a young company at this point, but you know, we've got um, high hopes for. It's called Tango Trade, and and what Tango Trade does is they provide an escrow service to allow a U.S. importer who is buying, you know, goods or equipment from a foreign supplier to use a sort of escrow service provided by Tango Trade. And so, what do we do? we provide the funds that would go into that escrow account, right? And then thereafter be essentially the financing to facilitate that purchase by the U.S. importer from that foreign supplier. So it's sort of a variation of the point of sale type of a situation. Right. Yeah, got it. Okay. And, you know, there are a lot of different scenarios like that. There's platforms that do all different types of things. And I am a big believer in the convergence of payments and credit in a variety of different ways. And that's an example of one that we're doing. So maybe just stop there and see what, see what other questions yeah, you got. Yeah. So I'm, I'd like to like these, these different, you know, the different companies you're working with here, uh, do you treat each one individually? So I'm like, I'm actually looking right now at the, at the page on re- regions sends some of this lending, some of this loans to you. Obviously I'm not a regions customer and I just went through their website and got this, uh, page that is a page on foundation.com, but it's obviously specifically created for regions. Is that how you do it? So with every every single partner you have, you just create a a specific sort of page on your website and then they, they all go through, I imagine, a, a similar engine on the back end? Actually, no, okay. but, but it's a great question. So 
we've tried to build our platform in a way where we can accommodate the customer use case based on how the partner wants us to interact with that customer, right? So that could be a situation like regions where if you go to regions.com, it'll basically drive you to a a co-branded, you know, online application experience. Mm-hmm. You know, with our private label partners, you know, to sort of state the obvious, I mean, we we develop a customer interaction layer and, you know, our customer interface and a banker interface that is, you know, sort of built to their liking. Now, it often is adopting many of the things we've done from one bank to another, but, you know, not always. And, you know, we sort of, you know, we'll configure it exactly to sort of how they want the platform and us to interact with their customers and or their employees. But as you start going into, you know, some of these, this is called a platform opportunities or, or partnerships where we are providing our products, you know, on a sort of on-platform experience of a third party. We've recently developed a whole suite of APIs that basically allow a third-party partner to, you know, manage the entirety of the customer experience on their platform both from application to sort of underwriting process to booking and thereafter, even initiating draws on lines of credit through their platform. And, and we did that because, again, I, mean, I am a believer and, you know, our, you know, the rest of us here at Foundation are also believers that, you know, that various types of platforms, whether they be payment platforms or otherwise, you know, are going to have a lot of eyeballs from SMEs, you know, in the future, and have some pretty good mind share with those SMEs and, you know, introducing credit in various customer scenarios will make a lot of sense and they'll want to control the customer experience. So we need to give them APIs to be able to do that as opposed to having to force them into our platform, if you will. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So then maybe just just, just real quick, step back and, and talk about the you know, the, the types of loans you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, term loans, lines of credit. Like, is this, is this sub 500,000? Why, I, I presume it's, uh, maybe you could, you know, tell us a little bit of the range of uh, amounts, interest rates, that sort of thing. Sure. And so I'll distinguish for a second between, you know, what's on our balance sheet versus what we're sure. helping our, our bank clients originate. And yeah. so what, it, what ends up in our balance sheet is either term loan. So, you know, a fixed rate installment loan you know, which is, you know, very similar to how, what a traditional marketplace loan might look like, right, if you will, which is risk-based price, you know, terms of, you know, one year to five years, but for us, an average of around 27 months at origination and sort of an average, I think, around $55,000, $60,000 at origination with APR sort of in the mid to high teens on average. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a line of credit product. Our line of credit product has been by far the highest growth product we've had since launching it, which we launched in... 2015 or 2016, I believe. And, you know, it's been very high growth for us because of the channels that we operate in, which again, you know, I I spent a fair amount of time a moment ago talking about the different types of bank relationships we have. And, you know, what we found there is, you know, the vast majority of the time, you know, customers that are pursuing credit from a bank are looking for a line of credit, especially in the SME space, not necessarily in in every category, but Mm -hmm. in the SME space in particular. And in the early days when we only had it alone, we were really having a tough time with conversion until we launched that line product. And, and since then, it's, it's been a really successful product in terms of you know, driving conversion for customers coming through those channels. And as we've really gotten our sea legs under us with respect to you know, managing credit risk for that product, you know, given that it's an evergreen product, right? it doesn't have a maturity date, you know, we functionally have to rescore the accounts every 90 days to sort of make sure we're 
getting ahead of any degradation in the portfolio. But it's a, it's a great product both to serve what I think most SMEs actually need, which is managing, you know, uneven cash flow, right? Differences between receivables and payables, right? Inventory, all the different things that, yes, some of them do get end up getting a term loan. But I think, you know, when you look at the Fed studies, the majority of customers want a, you know, a line of credit of some sort. And so it's been very successful for us. And that's sort of our higher growth product today. It's about 40% of our portfolio and growing, you know, both given the channels that we operate in and just sort of that's where customer demand is. Right, right. Okay. So I want to, I want to move now to the banks, uh, the bank partnerships. And I know you've been signing up. I keep seeing new ones, it seems, on a regular basis where you've, uh, you've got new bank partners that are announcing. Uh, announcing. So uh, the first one I think I remember seeing, apart from the regions one we've already talked about, which is a little different, but like the, I'm talking about the white label product. Um, I think the first one I saw was Citizens Bank. Was that your, I mean, maybe you could talk us through, you know, that product and the types of banks you, you're working with there. Sure. So, yes, you're right. So, our, you know, our version of, you know, what, you know, some of our competitors have come up with different brands for, like on deck, I guess, calls theirs ODX as an example. We don't sort of brand ourselves any differently in the market for that today, although, you know, there is a, you know, there is maybe an argument to me that we should be. We uh, launched our first partnership with Citizens Bank in late 2017. Citizens is, I think, the 12th largest bank by total deposits in the U.S. Their footprint is sort of northeast New England into the Midwest, into Michigan, uh, and down into Pennsylvania. Um, I think they're about $150 billion institution. So that was our first relationship like that. And our second, which we publicized, is Bank of the West, which is a subsidiary of BNP Paribas which we had launched uh, earlier this year, in January of this year. And we're actually uh, imminently, I think, I think it's next week, launching our next, which is a top 10 institution. And then we've got two more top 50 banks shortly behind that, you know, all of which will be live and, and up and running you know, no later than February of, of this coming year. So you know, we'll have five of the top 50, and we've got a great pipeline behind that of doing this and, and, and just sort of hit on your key question of what are we actually doing? You know, these institutions are essentially, or they are, I shouldn't even bother use the word essentially, they're outsourcing the, the credit delivery function for certain of their SME product, credit product suite to us. And we perform that service for them on a private label basis where we will do the application ingestion, which will be suited to the channel. So we'll give you know, their, their .com, you know, an online application experience for customers that self-serve. Then we also offer the capability through their retail networks, as well as their business bankers, um, to the extent the bank has a business banking team, to do sort of the, you know, application ingestion. We will then do all the decisioning. So we will be hosting the bank's credit policy on our platform. We will do BP, what we call BPO work, which is basically, you know, white-labeled manpower to actually, you know, deal with customers to either complete applications or to do the underwriting, to do the sort of loan closing work. And then we, we hand the bank a, a product that they get on board into their loan management or loan operating systems. And we've done all the work from application ingestion through, through, through closing. Now, we do that again, you know, they're not required to use a foundation product, right? I mean, they are using their own products. We're purely providing, you know, the pipes, the capability, the digitized experience, all that stuff for them to, you know, more efficiently, you know, more seamlessly originate their own products to their customer base through their channels. 
And it typically starts with us doing that for unsecured loans and lines of credit. You know, and, and in bank speak, unsecured may mean like I have a blanket security interest against the business, but it, you know, no specific collateral, let's right. say. Mm-hmm. And then with both of those companies that we're, what I mentioned that we're live with, we're also doing their business credit cards, you know, as well as some other sort of similar ancillary products. And then what we're doing, you know, now is, you know, we're starting to move into secure products as well, whether it be equipment secured or you know, owner-occupied commercial real estate and or SBA Express products. And, you know, because our, our, you know, our objective is to, you know, help these clients of ours modernize the way they deliver all of their small business credit products to give, you know, customers and bankers that sort of really simplified, unified experience and to be able to do that across an array of different products to sort of help them help them modernize. Right. And so that's what we do. And again, like I mentioned, you know, a while ago, you know, one of the other things we also do in those relationships most often is, you know, also give them a second look, which is, you know, the primary thing that we're doing is trying to put assets on the books of the bank. But if the bank's credit policy says no and ours says yes, there's a chance to keep customers happy. Right. Right, got it. So then, was it fair to say then you, the, the the white label is focused just on the top fifty banks, and the the sort of the second chance type program is for all the other banks? Is that is that sort of how you delineate it? What I would say, is, you know, top hundred or so. I think what it comes down to is this, which is, in order for us to implement a private label solution cost effectively for us ourselves and for the bank. There has to be an expectation that there is some meaningful volume to do, right? right in terms of tra- in terms of unit volume, right? And you know, there, you know, therefore, generally speaking, you know, banks of ten billion ish or so and higher, you know, would generally fall in that category. Now, what's interesting is not all banks are alike, right? Like we've seen institutions that are on the smaller end of that scale have the likelihood of driving a lot more volume than companies that are in the you know top forty or so. You know, really sort of depends on what their historical orientation has been to small business. You know, do they or do they not have a a business line which is dedicated to small business or not, right? One of the things that, you know, is always bounced around the, the, the banking industry is where does small business fit in, right? Is it a, is it within the consumer bank? Is it within the commercial bankers or is it its own thing? You know, what we found is the companies that likely that have the most success in small business it's its own thing, but it may very well, you know, roll up into the consumer bank or into the commercial bank. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then again, like, but then we've got, again, clients that say, hey, like, we're not ready or interested yet in a private label solution. Like, we're really not looking to put these types of credit products on our balance sheet. But small business is very important to us because we've got a lot of deposit relationships in small business and we want to keep these customers happy. And therefore, that may be a situation where they decide to just refer all those customers to us directly for loans or maybe have a second look program or something like that, which is, you know, that's where that type of arrangement might come into play. Right, right. Okay. So I'm curious then when you're, when you're talking with these banks, particularly the larger banks, you know, I imagine if, if you launched in 2017, you started talking with citizens very, you know, a year or two before that. Is it easier to talk to banks today given that, I think there's much more awareness now of fintech than there was maybe three or four years ago. I mean, without question, yeah. And, and so for us, on a couple different fronts. I mean, one is, you know, obviously, you know, we've got a pretty good resume at this point in the industry, and and, I, and we've spent a lot of time at 
you know, a lot of the different events where we've gotten to know a lot of the leadership teams in, in small business banking, you know, across the banking industry. You know, so we're not like a strangers when we're having conversations with folks. They typically know who we are, and that's been very helpful. And our clients have been, you know, really good to us and, and, and because they've been very happy with what we've done for them. You know, they've certainly been willing to talk to others on our behalf, which, which, mm-hmm. which goes a long way in the banking industry. But the other is, you know, yes, the idea of partnerships is, is out in the forefront, right, with, within the banking sector and, and, all, and all incumbent financial services companies, mm-hmm. you know, as you know. But, you know, I look at it a little bit more simpler, which is I think that, you know, let's just call them uh, incumbent financial services players have to become fintechs themselves, right? And, and I think they are. And I think the way they're getting there is different. In some ways, you do see some companies successfully, you know, changing their operating model to have, you know, what you would typically see in a fintech in terms of having in-house application development teams, product managers and product managers in the sense that we think about them of like, what should the technology do? And you're starting to see more of that adopting agile frameworks in terms of the development that they do. And, you know, again, like it, it, it will depend on, you know, where the bank decides or they want to develop that type of capability and to support which business lines. You know, what we do, I think is sort of give them that same capability or the same operating model, but through an outsource arrangement, which means is, we can give them the agility that they need to be able to compete in sort of the modern digital era by virtue of the fact that, you know, they're relying on us as the technology platform provider. It generally supports just that business line and that business line can have a high degree of influence and control over what they want to do next and how fast they want to do it Mm -hmm. as opposed to the old operating model, which is I got to go back to the mothership and say, Hey, does the IT department have any resources for me now or then the next year, right? Where you're sort of almost like a bargaining process. And I think the operating model is changing across the industry, both by virtue of the way I think banks are, are, are architecting their own internal teams, but also by working with, with companies like ours to sort of give them that, that capability and that, and that agility right, that they need. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So I want to switch gears a little bit and, uh, talk about, you know, your, your thoughts on the, the big tech companies, you know, your PayPal and our huge, I know the slightly different, you know, target market and definitely Square as well is, is, is obviously much smaller, smaller businesses, but they're, they're making that these companies and Amazon have also have their, have their own small business lending operation. I mean, these are, you know, these are companies with massive customer bases. Just thoughts on how how you compete with those companies. Are you concerned about them? Do you you know how? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, some of them yes, some of them no. In terms of being concerned, I think while those are scary companies to a lot of a lot of companies across a lot of industries, you know, take a company like Amazon for example. Well, Amazon doesn't work with every small business, right? They only work with folks that that sell on Amazon. And you know, and going back to what we were talking about a little while ago. You know, I am sort of a believer in this concept of, you know, capital becoming more ubiquitous and the idea being that, you know, the platforms that have a lot of data, a lot of transactional information on SMEs or consumers or just have mind share are the best positioned to give credit in, in various forms. And, and Amazon is a variation of that, but for folks that sell on Amazon, I think, you know, what's interesting about Amazon is when you've sort of looked at some of their history, when they try to do things that you know, that are very tangential to what they do, they, they haven't always had success, right? So it's not like 
just because they're Amazon, they can necessarily compete in every ecosystem. But certainly where they've got the right eyeballs, the right information at their disposal, you know, they're going to be able to compete very well and, and extend a lot of credit to, the, to those customers. Square, uh, so I mean, I think Square is an unbelievably impressive company. And, and the reason I think they're, they're so impressive is because of what I think is happening in small business. And, and I know, you know, Karen Mills has talked about this quite a bit. You know, this idea of these, you know, platforms that provide an array of different services to an SME to sort of help them, you know, sort of do what they do better, right? And I think what's happening in small business is more verticalized, right? Because, as you know, small business, you know, it's not, it's not the largest asset class from a lending perspective, but it's pretty complicated because it's so diverse and so heterogeneous. Mm-hmm. And what you've seen in this market is in, in very specific subsectors, you know, whether it's restaurants or let's just call it, you know, contractors and whatnot, you've seen some of these vertical sort of software platforms emerge to solve like the challenges of what it means to be a restaurant, right? So in restaurants, as an example, take a company like Toast or Square for restaurants, right? or Upserve or, or Touch Bistro, right? What are these companies? They are, I call them business management software platforms, right? But basically they provide a point of sale capability, right? So they have the POS system. Mm-hmm. They help these companies, they help restaurants with staffing, with their menus, with their order, online order intake, right? So they're, they've, they're building software that is specifically oriented around helping a restaurant be a restaurant, right? And you're seeing Square's done the same thing for restaurants. They've done that for retail, right, companies. Mm-hmm. And there are sort of, sort of mini Squares out there. And so I think what you're seeing in a few of these verticals today, and I think you'll probably see some more of them over time, that, you know, these, the idea of verticalization happening because in order to solve, I think, the meaningful pain points for a small business, in particular for some of them, you know, their needs are very specialized and therefore the software that they use also has to be reasonably specialized as well. Right. right. And so what I think that's going to force banks to do in particular is to become platforms themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, historically they've sort of been closed loop, which is the only products that a, a small business interacts with when they're, you know, logged into a bank mobile application, is the bank's products, right? I mean, the banks often have had referral programs with others, but they're not often tightly integrated. I think you're going to see a paradigm shift in the future and not the, and not the distant future, in the near future, where you know banks are going to become a little bit more open architecture, if you will. Right, right. Yep, yep. That's going to be super interesting. Anyway, we're pretty much out of time, but before I let you go, Sam, just one more thing. If you could just maybe tell us, you know, as you look forward to, to 2020, what's, what's on the horizon? What's next for Foundation? So, yeah, for us, we've got, you know, like I said, a, a great pipeline of, of, of new clients that we'll be onboarding into our white label origination platform solution. So we look forward to publicizing those. And we think sort of, you know, demonstrating that we're the clear leader in that market. And we've got some real exciting things happening in the, in the lending partnership space as well. Going back to what I said a minute ago around, you know, around tightly integrating with different folks to really provide a great, you know, sort of on-platform experience for SMEs. And so, you know, it's, it, for us, it's not any major paradigm shifts for us. We're continuing to just go down the road that we've been on for a while. And, and I think we are going to be able to get to a, a level of scale for our business, you know, that will uh, allow us to demonstrate we're one of the clear um, winners in the space. 
you know, for the long term. Okay. Well, um, best of luck with that, Sam. It's, you've got a fascinating company. Well, congratulations on the success you've had to date and uh, thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for having me, Peter. Okay. See ya. One of the most interesting trends in small business today, I think, is this verticalization that we're seeing happening. And we're creating these ecosystems around industry verticals. And, you know, Sam touched on uh, Toast, which is in the restaurant space. There's others, there's Shopify doing in e-commerce and there's MindBody Online in the, in the wellness space. And there's many, many others. And these companies have tremendous insight into, into their customers. And I think all of these platforms are going to offer small business lending at some point if they don't already and many of the ones that I've mentioned do but it's going to be companies like foundation that can really provide you know sort of the the technology to making all this happen because each vertical is different and you get a lot more homogeneity in uh, inside one vertical and they're easy to underwrite and I think it's uh, it's, it just makes sense that these vertical plays are going to become more and more important to a small business. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging, and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech. Lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com slash USA to register.